Okay, so brothers and sisters, welcome Pastor Alan Shelby, head Gyrastacutus for LFBI, uh, the man, uh, my pastor. So now, I guess, um, do I know what time I'm supposed to end? Uh, maybe it doesn't matter, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we'll be good. I think we'll be good. I, you know, I want to start, give you a brief uh, report from Harvest, uh, because this is the first year that we have uh, become an off-site satellite of mission focus. And so, um, so, you know, I was looking at last year's numbers and, you know, I think, I think Wednesday night last year, we had almost, how, 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 many, how many people does this, 400? How many, how many do you, okay. So according to the numbers, last year, we had almost 600 people here Wednesday night. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe we can make this, uh, easier on everybody and advantageous, you know, on, on our end, we'll just be a satellite uh, out in Blue Springs of what's going on here. And so, so be praying for that, continue pray for that because last night, I mean, at five minutes till, we had no internet. Yeah, it was like that. But uh, praise the Lord, Brandon, you know, worked on that, got that, uh, got that working. And once that got working, we, we um, you know, put up a, big screen right on the stage, and, and everything pretty much went off without, uh, without a hitch. Praise the Lord. Uh, with you as a satellite and with the overflows and all the people that are watching online, we're guesstimating over 900. Were in yeah, the praise the Lord. So, so that, is, that is a good deal. I think uh, probably on our end, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, guesstimate that we probably had 50% more adults come out uh, to our church than what we brought down here on Wednesday night um, a year ago. So uh, praise the Lord for that, and it was a good crowd, and they were, they were uh, you know, fully engaged. Whenever, so I'm standing at the back, and whenever my sound guys are sighing, because you guys forgot to turn a mic on here, I, I know we're engaged. <laughs> I know we're engaged. My, my sound guys are back there. You know, plugged in what's going on, and then you know, in terms of the you know, in terms of the congregation, um, you know, when when the congregation gets their 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 stump and their shout both on, so okay, so they're engaged in praise and clapping and stuff, and you know, and when uh, Pastor Bartell says, "Can I get an amen?" they all amen. So when you get, when you get your stop stop and shout on. Uh, then, you know, you're pretty engaged as well. So, so it was a good night. Praise the Lord. You know, the key, key thing is uh, the um, live stream. And, uh, but boy, uh, you know, as long as that keeps working, it's a great deal. So keep praying that it does. Uh, continues to work. And it went fantastic last night. And our praise team there that was live did a great job. And uh, uh, everything went really well. Um, we do have a backup in, in case something goes down. We've got each night... Uh, Sam allowed us to have a special uh, guest for Mission Focus, missionary speaker or someone else there on site in case everything just caves in and doesn't work at all. Then we've got somebody there to, to you know, to uh, speak to the crowd, uh, um, uh, you know, in place of the live stream. And in addition to that, then we try and have a kind of wrap-up session uh, at the end for few minutes uh, in, in one of our rooms with good coffee and cookies and stuff like that and, uh, you know, try and capture some of the crowd that does not have kids. It's able to come out and just have a Q&A with. So like last night, you know, um, Pastor Bartell talking about the call and how it's really an invitation. And so I said, hey, you need to. So we had Eliseo there and a couple of, couple of young men from Spain and uh, so Eliseo was our guest and said, hey, go back to the room, spend some time with Eliseo, ask him about the call. Ask him about his call so you can figure out your invitation. So praise the Lord, it was a good night overall. Uh, continue to, you know, pray that that continues. Um, uh, be turning, if you have your Bible with you, to Daniel chapter 11. 
and with you know what Sam wanted me to talk about, what Sam wanted me to address, I'll probably refer to a lot more scripture or maybe just kind of weave it in as opposed to us looking at it. But one, one, uh, uh, um, one or two verses I think particularly I'd like you to look at. And uh, as we get into this, let, let me go ahead and have a word of prayer if you don't mind. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, not just standing uh, in the need of prayer, but deliverance. Standing in the need of deliverance. God, we need your help. And Father, you've said that the fruit of your spirit is love and joy and peace. And Lord, we know if we pursue peace, we will have the Spirit's power. And so, Father, we look to you today. We pray. We pray that your Spirit would speak to us. We ask that you would give us this entire week the umbrella of your love, your protection, your guidance. Lord, build a hedge about us and those who, who want to be here mornings and evenings, and uh, Lord, make this, make this sacred space, not because geographically the land is, is worth anything, but Lord, because of your presence and the presence of your people who are calling upon you, we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Okay, so has anybody seen the uh, new uh, Star Wars, Last Jedi? So in a, a, long, a long time ago, in a galaxy far away, there was a band of knights and they'd been victorious in all of their conflicts and they were people of valor and great courage and uh, they, they swept everything in their path and they just subdued province after province for their king. And one day they met in council and they said, you know, our leader is a valiant warrior, and his, his arm is stout enough to smite down 50 of his adversaries. I mean, would, would it not be better for us to simply send out the few who are like him and, and the men-at-arms who make up the ordinary ranks ought to just stay home? I mean, that'd be a lot easier. That'd be a lot cheaper. I mean, everybody knows that America's not a missionary-sending nation anymore, and, and shouldn't, we just, shouldn't we just hold back and, you know, let somebody else go? And, you know, our, our horses would not come home covered in foam, and our armor would not be dented and scratched returning from the fray. And, and no doubt, great things would be, still be done because we're sending out, you know, just a few great people. So the foremost champions undertook that task and they went to war and they fought well. Nobody could say they did not fight well. They unhorsed their foe, they did great exploits. But still, from the hour that the multitude started planning to rest upon their laurels, no city was taken, no province was conquered, so they met in council once again and they said, you know, our former prestige is forgotten. Our ranks are broken. Our, our colors are dragged in the dust. Why? And then one of the champions spoke up. Said, why, why did you think that 12 or 15 of us could do the work of 2,000? When, when we all went to battle, every person took their share and we fell on the foe like an avalanche. But now you stay at home. Why, why should you expect great things? So each person resolved to put on their helmet, to don their armor once again, and to go to battle. And so victory returned to that kingdom. So I want to speak to you this morning, and uh, Sam has asked me, I think, to talk about in general terms what, what this living faith fellowship idea is all about. So I just want to speak to you as one of the ranks of the king's servants, but I want to tell you this, if, if we're to have the victory that God wants us to have against the enemy in these last days, then if we're to dent the armor of our foe, every one of us has to be involved 
in that fight. That's why I was so encouraged by, you know, Pastor Bartell's word to us last night and the things he had to say. Because every one of us must be involved. Everyone has to be valiant in their area. Everyone needs to do exploits in their spot. And maybe just to put a few things together historically, and uh, you know, I'm anxious and interested. Uh, 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 Dr. Bartlett uh, is gonna be teaching a class ne this next semester in LFBI, as I understand it, on basically Baptist history, mainly kind of recent Baptist history, uh, mainly kind of our roots uh, in, in terms of churches like us. So, you know, we do church history, and church history will go all the way back to Earth's earliest believers, that's Book of Acts, and that's us. And then it'll, it'll trace through all the, the initial persecutions in the first two centuries. I mean, it seems like in the, after the Book of Acts, the church goes into a tunnel, and you don't see it for 200 years, from 100 A.D. to 300 A.D.-ish, you don't see it because for 200 years, Roman Empire was killing its converts. And they, uh, for, to a great degree, the only ones who were left after that were ones who uh, were um, not the sharpest pencils in the box theologically, shall we say, uh, and probably many of them not even born again. And then Constantine said, huh, you know, I see how I could take this and use this and incorporate this. Well, I'm going to make this the religion, the imperial religion. So we're going to have an imperial religion now, and it's going to be this. And everything else, uh, you know, then Theodosius comes along and says, okay, not only uh, Constantine said we're going to tolerate Christianity. And since I'm the emperor and I, con I consort with the gods, I'll call the councils. And I'll oversee the decisions. And uh, so that was that. There was tolerance of Christianity, and it was preferred. But then Theodosius comes along before the end of that century and says, well, not only that, but paganism is out outlawed. Everything else is outlawed. And, and so now everything is swept up into the imperial church, except for those sparks of the rebellion. And those, those sparks and those embers of the rebellion continued to burn against the evil empire for a thousand years. And after a thousand years, some of those sparks lit a fire that caused revival. And, uh, and then you had the Reformation and and, and a return to, to the Bible and biblical doctrine. And, and you know, the key thing was, was not the reformers. The key thing was simply putting the Bible back in the hands of the common people. And then, then the Bible lit that fire and the word of God did the work like it always does. And, and so it continued to go and grow from there. And, you know, people who are like us have existed all the way throughout history. And there were, uh, you know, a thousand points of light, even in the dark ages. Uh, and, and then the, you know, then the fire grew higher and, uh, in the, in the Reformation and the Philadelphian age burning very brightly and, now we're kind of not in that time, and now the evil empire has come back. I mean, it's just like, just like those three triads of movies in, in, the, in the Star Wars franchise, and why shouldn't it be? Because, the, you know, the, all the best stories really come out of the Word of God anyway. And so, and so now we're in a time of waning fortunes for the faith, as it were, uh, except among those pockets of resistance that I think God wants to continue to be the sparks available to start a fire of revival. Now, I don't know what will happen between now and the rapture. What time is it? Well, probably not much because raptures do here any, any minute. And if not, it's not that I'm wrong, I'm just disappointed. 
And, and so I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what is going to happen between now and then, either here or in any number of other countries and difficult fields and closed, uh, closed access, you know, uh, locations. I don't know. I don't know. All I, all I know is I want it to be said of me. I want it to be said of my church. I want it to be said of us that we were praying for and trusting God for revival, whether or not we got it. That we were looking for it, that we were interceding for it, that we were uh, desperate to have it because we don't stand in the need of prayer. We stand in the need of deliverance. This is a dark time. We've got a, we've got a, a pocket, uh, but we've got one of those uh, uh, 700 places not about the need to bail. We've got one of those uh, sparks of light uh, with the availability for God to use. And so, so then you come down to more recent history, and that's what, you know, I, I really, um, you know, I think I'll take the class from Dr. Bartlett on, on uh, Baptist history. So I don't know everything about that. He's going to give us a lot more detail, but just to put everything, give you the backstory and put everything in context with what I do know. The United States was at war, and gasoline was being rationed. And he was 27 years old, and his wife was pregnant. So just about this time of year, end of 1942, beginning 1943, so because of all that, he was from Joplin, gasoline rationed, wife pregnant, so he decided to come to Kansas City to hold a week-long revival in the Scottish Rite Temple at Linwood and Paseo. I mean, that stands to reason. Why wouldn't he do that? Uh, Kansas City, we had the Armco steel plant. Uh, we had people coming from all over the country to here to work in the war effort. Uh, we were internal immigrants, uh, displaced families. And what began as a revival during World War II turned into a church within three months. And those revival services became a real revival. And it they had, they had church every single night for 14 months. Uh, he was innovative. I mean, it was only the analog age, but at least he was analog and not monologue. And, and they had a radio program. They became the first church in this city to advertise in the Kansas City Star. They started the first Christian preschool in 1948. They ran the church, first church bus during vacation Bible school. And the, the entire world began to feel an impact of a ministry that grew out of a vision of those initial pioneers. The church was averaging 500 in Sunday school by the mid-50s, so they started a three-year fundraising campaign that culminated with selling $331,000 in bonds to finance a building down at uh, Prospect and Swarp Swarp Parkway. They just, they just tore that building down I don't, very few years ago, three, three years ago, four or five, I don't know, 15 years ago. They didn't tear it down 15 years ago. But at the time it was built, it was the largest steel span structure in the metropolitan area. Uh, in 1960, new ministries, new, new means of outreach, they kept growing. In 1960, a branch church, what they would call a branch church, was organized north of the river called Glenwood Baptist Temple. Uh, they started a Thursday ladies Bible class. They had youth meetings every Saturday night. July of 1968, Torch passed to a new pastor. They hired a youth pastor. They started a SMITE program to take high school and college kids on missions trips, SMITE being an acronym for Summer Missionary Training, uh, uh, Training for Evangelism. They expanded their publishing ministry. Why? Because they, were, they saw themselves as pioneers. You know, that's a good thing in terms of our type of movement and, and, and independent Baptists and living faith fellowship. 
we're autonomous enough that each, each one of us can see ourselves as pioneers. Here in Daniel chapter 11, it tells us, down in verse, look down at verse 32, Daniel 11, 32, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But, let the whole church say but. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Every generation has a challenge from God to become pioneers. Pioneers in some great work. Pioneers in some new endeavor. Pioneers in some new thing. Pioneers in the restart of something that died uh, previously before. That is where our vision for the future sits. If, if, you, if you don't disciple, you die. If you don't make disciples, you die. Now, you leave a monument behind as a memorial to the movement so that you think you don't die. But you die. Uh, if you, you do not accept this challenge, so, so if the question is, well, what is the Living Faith Fellowship? What is it about? If you're asking me to answer that question, then I would say this. If you do not accept a challenge to become the new pioneers, the new frontiersmen, your family dies. Daniel 11, here in verse 32, it says, those who violate the covenant with God, those who violate the word of God, those who violate biblical authority, become corrupted by the smooth ideas of the world. Somebody has to seize the opportunity and do exploits. It does not matter how you feel about yourself. It does not matter either what you were born with or what you grew up with. It doesn't matter your heredity, your environment. That's the same mix that has always been. I, I assure you, you have a no worse off than, than any person in any, any one of the New Testament churches, particularly those in places like Ephesus. And Corinth. But if you're not challenged, then your children get bored. Uh, they see a church just going about its business, just doing the routine, just keeping the status quo, forgetting that God did not save us to recess, but to possess. So all I'm asking this morning is a recognition of your role in the mission. All I'm asking is equal time with your desire to get promoted and better your education and move into a bigger house and drive a more digitally connected car. We used to want faster cars. Now we don't care about how fast they are. We want to make sure that, you know, it's got a backup camera and it's, you know, it'll, it'll play, you know, it'll Bluetooth and it'll, it'll talk to me and tell me where to turn. And, uh, and uh, you know, so I, I have a, I don't have a backseat driver anymore. I've got a dashboard driver. I've got a dashboard driver right there. All I got to do is, you know, poke at it and it, it gives me the information that, that I need and, and uh, what is the unifying power of our movement, if I can call it that? If I can be so bold as to call it that, what, what is the unifying power in our movement? It, it involves a continuation of what generations before us have been willing to do in the past. One day our problems will be ended. One day our burdens will be lifted. One day we will be ushered into the presence of the king. But that knowledge ought to make us fearless to take up a new vision down here. Fearless to take on a new field down here. Fearless to stay where we're at and challenge the demons 
that need to be cast out down here. And, and, and I don't know how else to tell you that between now and the end of this year, hello somebody, between now and the end of this year is the key time in all of history for your spirituality to be cemented and consecrated to Christ. I don't know what else to say to make you see that we're not just talking about establishing a movement such as that is. We're talking about arranging your life with God. In order for you to rescue your family from the carnalities of this society, we're going to have to focus on the mission of where God wants us to go from here. And you're going to have to discover how to live in line with the power that God is only willing to bestow on pioneers. Uh, most everybody in here was either here last night or watching, watching uh, Pastor Bartell last night. Okay, you don't want to be this water bottle. I'm just saying. This water bottle is on the shelf. Nobody's using this water bottle. You don't want to be that water bottle that he brought out last night because there's a power that God is willing to bestow only upon the pioneers. So that means each of you must involve yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ according to your ability, great or small, whatever he's given you. God help us. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. I mean, I just gave you the answer because that's 70% of your problem right there. That's 70% that's, that's of the holdup right there. Because you're supposed to use what God's given you, not what God's given somebody else that you think you don't have, therefore you shouldn't be used. Don't reason so distrustfully when it comes to dealing with God. Use what God's given you so you can be kept from backsliding. Hello, somebody. So you can stop becoming that monument to victories of the past. We, we will see God do great things only if we all agree about that. Otherwise, what we're doing today means nothing. What we're, what we're doing as a group, as a family, as a fellowship of churches, and in the freedom of the Spirit as believers, otherwise, it, you know, unless we agree on that, this will amount to nothing. We've got to put our presence where our prayer is. And we've got to pray where our presence is at. Not because it's some special program or, or some event or some personality, but just because of your consecration to Christ and therefore your commitment to the mission and your consistent walk with God. Otherwise, we get too great for the gospel. We get too proud to rely on God's grace alone. And so we got to invent other things that we can keep track of, that we can do that, oh, that's what makes us so good. I mean, that is the tendency of every church that refuses to stay challenged and refuses to become the new pioneers. May it never happen here in our lifetime. At least not in our lifetime. You've heard, uh, you've heard about the Hadron Super Collider. And it's, it's, it's the world's most powerful particle accelerator. What is the Living Faith Fellowship? What is Living Faith Bible Institute? I mean, Lord willing, we'll have... Some graduations Friday night, first ones. And, and, and what is it? Well, uh, I, will, I will say, uh, I will say it is, it is a person accelerator. And, uh, and, and that is what this fellowship of churches should be designing itself to do. We are not a particle accelerator, we're a person accelerator. 
And because of our view of biblical authority and a faith-based view and use of the Bible, the Living Faith Fellowship is accelerating Christians to the speed of the Spirit. That's faster than the speed of light. God is light, but the, but the speed of the Spirit is faster than light because what we are doing in four years' time in LFBI is to accelerate men and women to the speed of ministry. And, and you do know that if you accelerate to the speed of light, everything else looks like it's standing still. Faster you go, the slower everything else looks. Don't be discouraged by that. That's spiritual relativity. Keep going. We get you moving in, in the momentum of the mind of Christ so that sound doctrine can unrefrigerate you and accelerate you and bring you up to the speed that the Spirit is at. We want every particle of faith to be accelerated. We want it to be active in achieving what God wants for us and propelling us out of what I call meat locker Christianity. There is so much meat locker Christianity. You thought it was cold last night. There is so much meat locker Christianity, and particularly among churches like ours. So, so this Living Faith Fellowship is a fellowship of churches that are like-minded regarding their view of biblical authority, regarding their philosophy of discipleship, regarding uh, how we do missions and, and ministry. Uh, our, our DNA is in our distinctives. So what are the things that make us distinct from other Fellowships and groups of churches from other places you could go to get a Bible education, from other people you could be sent out from. L let me list for you this morning two things. Now I should end about what time? 10 o'clock? Before 10? Uh, two, let me list the two basic, what I think are the fundamental things, and uh, you know, other things I'm sure I'm going to fit underneath this and can go into it, but I'll break it down. Number one, a faith-based view of the Bible, and everything that means, a faith-based view of the Bible and everything that means, faith-based view, okay, indulge me, I brought some books with me this morning. Uh, somebody has their King James. You got your King James Bible right there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use you here in just a second. I'm gonna need you in just a minute. So, uh, so turn to Proverb. Yeah, turn to Proverbs uh, 21. I, no, no. I I chose the box carefully. Because I'm all about irony and subtle innuendo. So this, this is no longer beatbox, this is the beat down box. And we're gonna set we're gonna set the box, the book box on the beat down box. Uh, so so let's say, uh, you know, if I'm talking that about that particular idea, pour a hemplo. So uh, what did I say? Proverbs twenty two is what we want. Proverbs twenty two. <clears throat> so now, Brother Best, you, ch you check me on this. Make sure, make sure this is correct. <laughs> Proverbs 22, verse 20. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true. No, that's not the same. Well, what, what? What's different? 
What, so, okay, so what does your Bible say? Have not I written to thee, written to thee, excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? Huh. Certainty of the words of truth. Okay. They kind of took that concept out of, out of there, didn't they? That is what it's all about. I mean, that's, that's what it's okay. So, so uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, I don't want people making fun of you, so I'll give you the backstory. Why does this translation and, and uh, so many of the other modern translations, if not, if not all, why do they talk about 30 sayings and, and leave out the part about God giving us the certainty of the words of truth? Well, it's because Amenhotep or one of the other Egyptian pharaohs um, wrote a book similar to Proverbs and uh, talked about 30 sayings and you know, maybe the, maybe, the, maybe the particular Hebrew here is difficult for them to translate. And, and so they say, well, you know, obviously Solomon is copying this. Now, that's an assumption. So it's not, it's not textual. It's not linguistically, grammatically based. It's not, the problem is not the words as they stand in the Hebrew. That is not the problem. The problem is everybody else gets in their mind that the, that the Egyptian, whatever they dug up in Egypt out of, out of Trump, what is said here in the Word of God, and conveniently so in the sense that they're ready to get rid of the certainty of the words of truth. Uh, and, and that's what it's all about. I mean, you can do your own research on it uh, so that people won't laugh at you, but um, you know, I'm just telling you that's what it is. So, uh, so what they do on the New Testament side, <sighs> and I, these are all modern, you know, I, 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 I don't keep up with every single thing, but these are, this is a modern book, Encountering the Manuscripts. So it's a book on an in introduction to New Testament paleography and textual criticism. And, uh, you know, they talk about the method of approaching the New Testament manuscripts that is behind probably the most popular version in evangelical circles today, which is the ESV. <clears throat> the method that they use to, to, to to come up with a Greek manuscript to translate from is called reasoned eclecticism. Eclectic means to pick and choose from various sources. They acknowledge that the current United Bible Society's Greek text, which is an eclectic text, put together initially by five unsaved men, some of them died, so they, you know, they, there's a woman on the team, and there's, I don't know, I think it's still five people. But uh, they acknowledge that these unsaved people put together something pretty outrageous in a lot of spots. So they don't want to do that eclecticism. They want to, they, they're, re, I mean, a lot of these people reform background anyway, so they're reasoned about it. Uh, reformed in Southern Baptist, actually. But anyhow, so, uh, so okay. The documentary evidence can take us back to the earliest recoverable or surviving stage of the textual tradition. But it can't take us any further. That is, on the basis of external evidence alone, the manuscripts, we cannot determine whether the earliest recoverable stage of the textual transmission is an autograph or a copy of it. Second, the existing documentary evidence, the manuscripts, remember we're encountering the manuscripts, the manuscripts often present a situation where one cannot clearly determine which reading has the best support. Well, then what the what? I mean, what, so, so why are you even, okay, it doesn't have to make sense. And, 
And, uh, oh, here's a, here's a good one. The origin of the Bible. So let, let me learn you something about the origin of the Bible. Here, here's what they say on page 191. Uh, the first ones, check this, to attempt a recovery of the original text were scribes in Alexandria or scribes familiar with Alexandrian scriptural practices. You know, some people poo-poo us and mock us because we talk about uh, the Bible and manuscript, of, manuscript evidence and biblical authority in terms of two families of manuscripts, which generally we'd say Antioch and Alexandria, Eastern and Western and Byzantine versus uh, 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 whatever they would want to call it, a neutral text or whatever. But yet they say, well, you know, the, compare this with a statement on page 193 and, and you'll see where I'm going. Um, the Alexandrian type of text was perpetuated century after century in a few manuscripts. Unfortunately, most of the Alexandrian-type manuscripts disappeared for centuries, awaiting discovery 14 centuries later. So you, they, they, you, you, they, have just said the same thing that every cult group founder in America has ever said. The truth was lost very early on. And only our illustrious founder of heresy has recovered it. And now we can follow him. So, uh, you know, what I'm briefly giving you is maybe just a, uh, just a preview of what we're going to do uh, at next year's Certainty Conference. Next year's Certainty Conference, I think, is going to be on this topic. And, um, you know, we'll talk about some more of these things then. So... So that's discouraging. So let's get off, off of them and uh, let's get back to what we were talking about because, because the encouragement is, uh, that, is that number one, the thing that we're about is a, a fellowship of churches like-minded in their view of biblical authority. And, and so number one, a faith-based view of the Bible, everything that that means, which is what I just showed you, that's what it means. So at the bottom line, the idea of biblical authority, not just God authority, biblical, God mediating his authority through the word of God that he's given us as we've observed his hand, the evidence of his hand through history. So, so that means we know where to find the certainty of the words of truth. We know God has given us an absolute standard that is not only totally sufficient of itself. Okay, I, I just said something. I think you missed it. God has given us an absolute standard that is totally sufficient of itself. It is not insufficient in anything. Uh, it's not like we need to add anything to it. Not that it conflicts with anything that's true truth around it, but it's sufficient. It can't be improved upon with brain mythology. Right and left hemisphere. Okay, wait. You know how they came up with that. They came up with that because some people were so crazy they submitted themselves to a surgery that severed the uh, corpus calorum. Col col the <laughs> that, you know, that sounds an awful lot like what they do when they check for, you know, stuff in your colon. 
but it's in your brain. And they, they severed. Now, those people were so crazy. Once, once they severed the connection between the two hemispheres, then one acted one way and another kind of acted another way. So what they say about right brain, left brain is only true if you've had your brain broken. Hello, somebody. It is only true if you've, if you've had the two halves severed from each other. If you haven't, then really it's, a, it's pretty much a myth. And yet they use that to say, you know, well, you know, reading the Bible, praying and reading the Bible is not enough, and the Word of God isn't sufficient, and biblical counseling isn't enough, and, and, and so this is part of what all of this entails. Uh, so God's given us an absolute standard that's not only sufficient in and of itself, but it defines everything else. That's crazy. Number, number two, so, so, so number one, I'd say, our, our DNA's in our distinctives. Number one, a faith-based view of the Bible and everything that means. That kind of makes us distinct. Number two, a faith-based use of the Bible. And I'll say that means three primary things, and, and we'll close. First, letter A. It means we have a biblical, we strive to have a biblical philosophy of ministry. Uh, we are boldly Baptistic in theology, and we are unashamedly unlegalistic in methodology. That means the gospel and the word of God are the central things. So we don't let side issues, good as they may be, distract us or disunify us. And each church has its own personality, and every pastor, and you know, certain, certain churches have certain emphases in certain areas, and that, that's fine. I don't need to be critical of ones that are not like me. Ones that are not like me don't need to judge me, because our unity is around these central things, and we don't, we don't let the, any, you know, we don't let things not related to the gospel and the word of God distract us or de-unify us. So first letter A, we got a biblical philosophy we strive for, put it that way, biblical philosophy of ministry. Letter B, we, we, we believe we have a biblical philosophy of discipleship. So we are out to establish every believer in the worship of God, in the word of God, in their local church, in ministry with us. So that they can, you know, you never graduate from being a disciple. You're always a disciple, but if you go through at least that initial process, getting established in those four things, you are also on your way to be a saint. You are also a saint. Because those are the things that sanctify and set you apart, um, not just in God's eyes, but in the world. So we, so, so we trust the Lord. We've got a biblical philosophy of discipleship. And, and third, letter C. We, again, we're striving for a biblical philosophy of training, equipping, and of sending leaders. Every member of any churches associated with us should see themselves as no less than a minister. That means our churches own the responsibility in education and in missions for equipping people to become leaders of leaders if they stay and at any time to be equipped if invited to go. We want to send key people to key places with key resources and, and we keep trying to improve our resources. That's why... You can get the, the new discipleship book, improving on those resources because you're a key person to us. We want you to go key places. We, we want to send key people to key places with key tools. Is that you? If you believe that might be you, then join us. 
Do you really have the vision of becoming the new pioneers? Do you have the consecration to the call, to the invitation that is necessary to survive in our new Roman society with all of its carnalities? And to lead your family and to lead others along with you. If you do not have that vision that leads to that consecration, then I want you to join with me right now in prayer. And even if you do have it, then join me in praying for those who don't. So let's go ahead and stand, grab your neighbor by the hand. Gonna go ahead and end at 10 whether I'm supposed to or not. So, so let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray, Lord, quicken your church, quicken your church, quicken this church, quicken my church, Lord which is all your church, but you still have somebody at the head of it. Much as I may believe so many times that should not be me, God quicken my church nevertheless, quicken our churches, quicken us as churches together. When we have done all Make us realize we are still unprofitable servants. Nothing to boast about here, not in ourselves, only in all that you have done. But Lord, how much more unprofitable are we if we refuse your call and end up sitting on the shelf like this, like this miniature bottle of water having done so little and, and never being opened and poured out to quench anybody's thirst. So God, we ask that you would add to our lives the things from the word of God that can be taken by the spirit of God and used to, used to make more people of God. Every problem of fellowship, Lord, add things to our life, but take away every problem of fellowship. God, spare us from every departure from morality. Every difficulty in our society is settled right here in our midst. It is settled in our congregating together. It is settled in our assembling. And in our understanding of what you want us to do next as believers and as churches. So God, speak to us about our spiritual gifts and how to serve you. Speak to us about the vision and how to know you. Speak to us about our families and how to follow you. Speak to us today about the past and how to move on. Because the only thing that matters now is not how we might have failed you. It is whether or not we are consecrated to the rest of the call until Jesus comes. We ask it in his precious and powerful name. Amen.